What's up, everybody? I'm Jason Weisenberg. And I'm Michael Weisenberg. Welcome to Wiseland. This is our 40th episode. 40. Unreal. Crazy. So thank thank you all for, for listening to us from day one. Or if you're just joining us now, thank you for hop, hopping on board. It's been it's been awesome, you know, doing this podcast, getting to kind of, you know, know some of you guys, talk some more basketball and everything. And I really wanted to start this this week by also talking about something that we did last week and we, we went over our all-star teams. Michael and I each drafted our respective teams and we put a poll out to the people to let them have a voice in this situation. And I was winning this poll by a lot, a lot. This is a huge. And then obviously what happened was other votes started coming in in a higher rate than votes were coming in for me. And I unfortunately, um, the final tally looks like it's going to be about 70% of people were thinking team Michael LeBron with only about 30 people sticking with team Jason Yoss. Jason, a one nothing lead in the poll doesn't necessarily like, that's not like an insurmountable lead. Man. I had and when you're the person that voted for it, especially. <laughs> I had a hundred percent. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> apparently positionless basketball is not, is not a, ever really going to be a thing but you know i i took i took a shot <laughs> hey it's just not going to be a thing when you draft it okay jason <laughs> i would love i'd love to have another formal i got Jokic and Embiid, man I, and then i i like you know oh who's the first person i dropped in the second round stephen curry yeah no, i have kid Kyrie. i like i my team was nice i'm built around lebron james I like to think my team had a lot of inner spirit and fight that would come out in a, in a situation, but you know, no. obviously, thank you. Thank you people for, for letting us know how you feel. And now I remember why I, I don't uh, trust a lot of people, but uh, <laughs> no, so it was, it's yeah. cool. we, we got a lot of fun do, doing that draft. And it's just cool to kind of like put all these, put all these, you know, names together and, you know, think about what that, what that could be like. Yes. But um Onto the topic of this week, and I actually wanted to bring something up. Um, a person who I have never met, but was absolutely, an, I considered an at least an influencer or somebody who, you know, I just admired a great deal. Um, Tom Kinchalski. He was a um, a renowned basketball scout, and uh, he. It was announced last week that he was in hospice care. Uh, he passed away, um, I, I think, just yesterday. And he is somebody who's just been around the game through generations of players at this point. Uh, one of the kind of, uh, at least one of the most well-known scouts, one of the most, absolutely one of the most well-respected and as much as, you know, I, I give all the credit in the world to the basketball players and as, as would uh, Mr. Konchalski, uh, but it takes a village and it's, it's really a community. And he was a huge part of this community. And it, whenever I found out somebody knew Tom Konchalski or was close to Tom Konchalski, I, I would just be all ears. I'd want to know, you know, what their experience was with him and everything I ever heard was very positive and it just he is like a, a a myth of a human being and uh yeah just wanted to what we wanted to do this week is delve into a bit of mr Konchalski's life 
um, get you some research and, and resources to, to learn about this man, because I feel like that's the best way to spread his message and then delve into something that I think uh, Mr. Konchalski likely would have really appreciated. And uh, I know that as a, a basketball scout, like these are things that I love. And that's like these stories of players that come from uh, one place and are either are, are like late risers or um, just, you know, like late blooming players who you get to see make this huge progression. So people with, uh, you know, because when you think about LeBron James and you think about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, these were guys who were top of their high school class, like throughout the entire time and have just been top players forever. And some players take uh, have different journeys. And we're going to, to go over some of the players that have uh, different journeys. Um, but yeah, first, let's talk about Tom Konchalski. Um and a book that I highly recommend, it's not about Tom Kinchowski, it's about um, the player that I'm wearing my shirt this week and my hoodie and everything. Uh, a player that Tom Kinchowski was at least part of the story Early and that was Michael Jordan. And there is a um, fantastic book called Michael Jordan, The Life by Roland Lazenby. And he, um, go like just goes into Michael Jordan's life with fantastic detail. And as somebody that has loved the NBA draft and like the process of basketball prospects, the part that I absolutely loved and the part that I, I think was passed throughout Michael Jordan history and like his story is when he gets to five-star basketball camp and five-star basketball camp for those that don't know was a camp that was, a number of top high school basketball prospects. And I just kind of read over, reread some of the, the parts before this, but there, there was a fantastic story that involved Tom Kinchalski and just, I think, pointed out to his incredible eye for talent. And um, it features Brendan Malone, who is, was a longtime NBA assistant coach, at times head coach, father of the Nuggets head coach, Michael Malone. Um, and at the time, Brendan was a, an assistant coach for Syracuse University, and he had to go to some other event or, or do something he where he wasn't he was in a car accident and he had to leave the camp for a couple of days. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. 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 So he had to leave for obviously a very important reason and entrusted Tom Kinchalski to he, he gave him the, the picks that he had wanted and he had won. It was really important at the time as an assistant coach for Syracuse to do well in this camp setting and just, you know, kind of boister his resume. And he told Tom to draft Greg Drilling, who was one of the highest ranked centers in the class and Aubrey Sherrod, who was one of the highest ranked wings and the, he had had them the year before and they won the, um, the camp championship. So Tom is prepared to do this, but then he sees somebody in the scrimmage and he says, uh, you know what? Like, I think I'm, I, I think I have to take this guy. And so 
Tom goes, uh, I think it's the next page, sorry. I just want to get the, the story right. And so he says, oh, hold on. Oh, why did I do that? I apologize, but bear with me. It will pay off. So I said, I got number one. And he said, you got drilling? And I said, yes. And this is Tom Kinchalski and uh, Brendan Malone is asking, you got Aubrey Sherrod? And I said, no. And he said, what do you mean? Aubrey Sherrod was considered the number one shooting guard in the rising senior class at the time. And I said, I took a kid from North Carolina. And Garl Frankel laughed as he recalled the exchange. And Brendan says, who the hell is Mike Jordan? And I just went ballistic, was so pissed off because at the time people didn't really know who Michael Jordan was. And I guess Roy Williams was one of the people that was responsible for even getting him into the camp. But it just seemed like as soon as Michael Jordan got there, he kind of jumped off the page and Howard Garfinkel and Tom Kinchalski just immediately, um, you know, saw the, the talent that was there. Michael Jordan was a late bloomer. And when they talk about Michael Jordan getting cut from his uh, varsity team and everything like that, he, at the time when he was cut, he was five foot 10. By the time he went, got into his junior year, he had had a growth spurt and was around six foot three or six foot four. And let's just say it was a whole different situation. And when it, they talk about Leroy Smith also, Leroy Smith was six foot seven. So the, the player that they like, you know, cut, Michael Jordan for it was for obviously a different reason. Now we can act and, and wonder what the talent level was and everything there. And I'm sure it still was great, but you know, that, that height can make a, a definite difference. And it did for Michael Jordan, but I, I just thought that was a great story about Tom Kinchalski. And um, also want to just read a bit about Tom Kinchalski just in general he um, spent 43 years evaluating college basketball prospects. It, the report that he wrote, it was called High School Basketball Insider Report. And he had started it with Howard Garfinkel. Eventually it became his own thing. He just would go to gyms constantly with a yellow notepad and a big pen. And he was just so entrenched in the basketball community. And the, the other thing was, it wasn't just about like, you know, top prospects. He was just trying to find these diamonds in the rough and finding these kids who could maybe play division two schools, division three, NAIA, junior college. He, he was just looking for, he had clients from all across the basketball landscape and respect throughout it as well. Um, and and also, also high school basketball insider, he did, about 16 a year to about 200-ish coach, college coaches subscribed to it. And he did it all by his typewriter. Yeah. And this was also a man who didn't have a car, um, didn't have an answering machine, didn't, I, I don't believe to have email or computers. A, a he true just, yeah. yeah. He, he was, he lived in the time when he started the high school, like, you know, was in it with Howard Finkel in um, starting high school basketball insider report. And yeah, he um, still was just 
would churn out these reports. And the, the other thing I always heard were was like the language and everything is part of his reports. Like he was really succinct and, you know, just would say like, you know, if a guy's good, he would, he, he, he was excellent at turning a phrase. And I, I, I know one other phrase was, uh, he, he was six foot six. So uh, he would, you know, people would kind of be like, well, what was your basketball history? And he would say, well, the most athletic thing I've ever done was jumping to a conclusion. <laughs> so he was just, he was just so warm and uh, wonderful to everybody. I know he was also very religious. Uh, the thing that I also found out is his brother, Steve Konchalski, um, coached at St. Francis Xavier in Canada for 46 years and this was set to be his final year of coaching at St. Francis Xavier University. So yeah, like uh, another Konchalski was deeply entrenched in basketball roots as well. Um, but yeah, I was, I was so lucky to have uh, friends that knew T Tom Konchalski and I, I just was touched by all of the, the outpouring of support and we're going to have a lot of things linked um, a person that I admire greatly in the basketball community who was close with Tom uh, Konchalski was Andrew Slater. And I, I thought what Andrew wrote was just incredible and uh, was, yeah, just summed it up very well. There were some great articles about him. Um, one of the, the first things that I saw about him was from Grantland. And we'll have a link to, um, they did a mini documentary just talking about everybody that had been in touch with uh, Tom throughout the years. And um, I, I felt like my friend PD Webb put this really well. Um, Tom Kachalski achieved the ultimate goal in basketball, leaving the game in a far better place than he found it and positively altering the lives of untold number of young people during his stewardship. There's no higher glory, rest in peace. And I thought that was just really well said. Um, I will have tweets from uh, Carl Berman who shows uh, episode of Charlie Rose that had Howard Garfinkel and Tom Kinchalski that I thought was great. I watched that this morning. Um, Seth Davis wrote a really heartfelt article Christian Papula has a great picture with he and Tom. Uh, Dino Stragonis had a tweet with a link to the um, New York Times piece on Tom Kinchalski. And my friend Rob James, when he found out about what was happening, um, wrote something that I felt was really heartfelt as well. So we, we'll have links and we just want to honor his memory. Um, so yeah, I just, read about Tom Kinchalski and um, the final thing with as in terms with Tom Kinchalski it, it's amazing to me that he's not part of the uh, basketball hall of fame and so I, not, I think that, that's for the 21 I think it was like he and I forget who else are nominated as contributors but yeah it's kind of yeah a like, little wild because he's had five star he said he like he's owned like five star camps since like early 80s is like when he kind of took it over yeah and everything so he's you know he's touched like so many generations because like you talk about michael jordan but also it's funny I was, I was reading about him as well and um he liked boston market the the food place a lot and he remembers the first time that he had it was in 1994 going to scout kobe hmm. in philadelphia so it's just like it's just a thing but he's touched you know like 
Michael Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, like, you know, and all these guys. And oh, yeah. I know Donovan Mitchell. And then all the people that went to five-star, yeah. Yeah, like different. a lot of younger guys, too. It's like everyone kind of had, like, some sort of interactive, you know, story with him. And, like, apparently, like, memory like a steel trap as well, regardless. Yeah, of, that, that's the other was, amazing you know, like, thing. He never forgot a name. Yeah. He would – I just always heard, like, he would ask, how are you, and actually look you in the eyes and really care – and then if you told him your kids' names, he'd always remember them as well. Um, just a really kind-hearted human being and uh, just somebody that I think the basketball community will definitely miss. Um, yeah, I, I thought Seth, I, I don't know if you read Seth Davis's piece, but yeah, I thought it was really well-written and uh, yeah, just, oh, it, it, I, honestly, like the past, couple days with the, the news of Tom Kinchelski been something that have uh, affected me even without knowing him, just knowing the type of presence that he was to the basketball community. But um, yeah, let's get into some of these players and uh, some players that I'm sure Tom Kinchelski scouted over the years. I and, think, uh, I, yeah, like, like I mentioned in, the, in a few for sure, but uh, definitely, you know, like again, like this topic of this kind of like late bloomers is like under the radar guys yeah. and, you know, eventually like th like a lot of them you know like when you look at their stories it's like there's kind of this circumstantial thing that maybe maybe happens or maybe they're just in a you know a, a low exposure area but yeah it's it's pretty amazing like the the past that some of these like super great nba players have, have taken yeah and we know there are like tons we're just we're highlighting a few here um but yeah we, we think that you know these will be either players that you know or maybe even stories that you know, but we just wanted to, to highlight a few of these guys. And what Jason mentioned about exposure is so key. And sometimes it's just knowing the right person or being in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, like, honestly, a story that we could go over in the 1984 draft is you have, like, Michael Jordan was a late bloomer, but Hakeem Olajuwon was, like, an incredible story of somebody who had, didn't even play high school basketball in uh, the United States and ends up being the top pick in that NBA draft uh, just based on his immense talent, athletic ability, and uh, everything there. Um, so, yeah, the, the first person that we wanted to mention is somebody that he also didn't play – basketball in the domestic United States. Um, yeah, I guess he had ties to the U.S. and uh, did eventually play it for the U.S. Olympic team. And at a time, had his eyes set on possibly being a U.S. Olympian in a different sport, and that's Tim Duncan. And the famous story with Tim Duncan is he was a great competitive swimmer, um, but then he, he was raised on the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands. And his pool during a hurricane, like the one Olympic sized pool they had on the island uh, was destroyed. And he did not like swimming in the ocean. He was afraid of sharks. sharks yeah. yeah, was not with that. <laughs> so he took up basketball. And the, the amazing thing with Timmy is, yeah, like I, I think it was a gradual process. And um, it seems like he even had to convince, um, I guess at the time it was Dave Odom. And he had to convince Dave Odom that, you know, he was even like, 
Dave Odom didn't think he was paying attention or, or they had kind of like an awkward beginning there. And it turned out that like Timmy just staring at him blankly was the way that he would pay attention. And he was an incredibly quick learner. And obviously um, it turned out that uh, Dave Odom made the, the right decision. Well, and it's, it's amazing. To think of the big fundamental, you know, as he was known, like, yeah. Because well, he, 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 he was kind of a blank slate. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I, he was pretty much like learning basketball and doing all these fundamental moves. And I think for us, too, like when we started getting into college basketball, it was like that was Timmy's prime. Right. right yeah. there. Like, I, like, I'll definitely get into that. Um, but I, I just wanted to name the other universities, I guess, that were in the running. Which are amazing to me. University of Hartford. University of Delaware and Providence. Like what? <laughs> With Wake Forest. I know, I know Vin Baker went to Hartford, I'm pretty sure. So they, they had an NBA also in Providence that had Jimmy Walker and uh Providence still, you know, is a school that produces some uh NBA prospects every now and then. But yeah, just kind of amazing that he was like that under the radar. And not only that, but the other amazing thing is Timmy was just like, I think he was, I guess, 18 at the time he started college or no, was, oh yeah. So it was not, no, he was 17. Yeah. yeah so Timmy was only 17 when he started at Wake Forest. His first game, zero points, did not score. Um, by the end of his college career, he was the NCAA player of the year. Um, but one thing I will say, I, I, I feel like immediately he, over time, was a really great player for Wake Forest uh, during his freshman season. As early as his sophomore season, I'm pretty sure he would have been the first pick in the NBA draft. But yeah. he had made a promise to his yeah, mom. Yeah, he had a promise yeah. to his mom to come back. Because I remember even, like, his, yeah, his junior, wasn't it, didn't he stay four years? He stayed four years. Yeah, because I remember, like, the junior year, it was like. Yeah, it was the 96 draft, which was a tremendous draft. talented yeah. draft. Timmy would have absolutely been the first pick in the draft. Like, I, I don't see how the 76ers take Allen Iverson over Tim Duncan. Um, I think in 95. I know he and Joe Smith, like it, it was pretty close and Joe Smith was great in the ACC as well. I'm guessing Timmy probably would have been the first pick in the 95 draft also. Um, I think people just knew he was going to be great and saw the defensive potential, like this true center who everybody knows Tim Duncan is a power forward. He was a center also like he could, he was one of those guys like somebody that we'll mention who could play pretty much any position. Um, but yeah, obviously he's one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Um, I, I would say one of like the greatest winners of the modern era of basketball, won five NBA championships, won two MVPs, um, made countless all NBA first teams, like made all NBA first team as a rookie. Uh, the guy was just tremendous, but yeah, he had a really unorthodox path to the United States to play basketball. And it's just kind of amazing because the, the other thing was, uh, I guess when he was 16, he matched up against Alonzo Mourning and like held his own, which is just unreal. Like, because Alonzo Mourning would have been like 
Oh, like legit <laughs> the NBA, but in those pre-YouTube, you know, like video days, it's like, because that was one of the things yeah. about Tim Duncan is like, well, we heard he held his own against Alonzo Mourning. And yeah, it's, oh, exactly. And, yeah, and, and that's the, the thing. That. And then you. Yeah. Like the, the other thing I, I want to mention is like, I, I, I'm always just amazed by these times where like we couldn't see what was happening. So I, I loved hearing about what was happening. And like, I, I think that's where people like Tom Kinchelski and like all these other people just gave a glimpse at what was happening at these camps. And uh, I guess that, that's how we can get into this next player because he was somebody that almost had like a Michael Jordan like story with the fact that he, you know, blew up at a, a, a basketball camp and really raised his ranking. And uh, that's Tracy McGrady. So also drafted in the 1997 draft. Um, but he was really like a late bloomer. And um, I think had a, a late growth spurt. And the legend of Tracy McGrady is that he went to a um, the ABCD camp, which was a big camp with top high school players run by Adidas. And uh, yeah, it was Sonny Vaccaro was running it. And um, he, by the time he left that camp, he, I guess, was ranked like 175 in the nation or, or something like that, and had raised his way up to possibly being the top ranked player in that high school class. And he, uh, I guess, he, um, I think it was Tim Thomas, yeah, or no, Tim Thomas was the year before. But yeah, either way, he, he was um, one of the top ranked players in that 1997 high school class. And he, um, the the legend I always remember hearing, like the big part of it was, um, and this is another article that we'll link from ESPN. There was a top ranked big man from out of New Jersey and his name was James Felton. And I just wish that we could see this dunk that Trace McGrady did. But the legend was that in the All-Star game at ABCD, he did this incredible dunk on James Felton. And um, th there's a great article that I just found. It was called The Wrong Side of Great. And it was about the, you know, different paths of James Felton and, and Tracy McGrady. But yeah, what we know is that Tracy McGrady um, was eventually drafted by the Toronto Raptors. He was the ninth pick in the NBA draft. He went to Mount Zion uh, High School in North Carolina. He is from Florida originally. Um, what I think the rumor was, so he, he was really interested in going to University of Kentucky. And the rumor was when Rick Pitino took the Celtics job in 1997, the thought was that he wanted Trace. The Celtics had two picks. They had the third pick and they had the sixth pick. And the thought was that he was going to take Trace McGrady with one of those picks. Um, he did not. He took Chauncey Billups at three and his own Kentucky Wildcat, Ron Mercer, at six. Chauncey, I, I think, is, if he's not already in the Hall of Fame, well on to. Not there, but yeah, he, should, he should be. Um, Ron Mercer did not turn out to be Trace McGrady. He was a, really like, yeah, he was one of those guys who was just always great throughout high school and uh, one of the big Oak Hill guys. But yeah, 
I guess the the rest with Trace McGrady is history. And yeah, so he just had this like monumental rise right before his senior year. Well, just, yeah, just um, one camp kind of turning it around. Actually, so Tom Kachalski, this was a quote of his at that time, is McGrady came out of nowhere. There hasn't been anyone like that since Michael Jordan in 80 when he came to five-star and bowled people over. Like, it just, because, yeah, like, they, like basically, Trace McGrady went to this camp, and it was like, okay, he's all, all right. And then by the time he left the camp, people were like, oh, he should not be going to college. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's like a possibility. It's like, yeah, yeah. Where did that, where did that come from? Because, yeah, like. It was it, after Garnett. It was after Kobe. It was after Jermaine O'Neal. Yeah. Yeah, and then he can, you know, he comes out, he did sign an Adidas, you know, deal. He didn't really mm-hmm. get like, to take off. His Adidas team. was like the, where well, a lot of the high school players would sign. That's where Sonny was really in yeah, uh, but, at those camps, you know? Well, that's why he was trying yeah. to find the, find those dudes. And like, I think like, I remember, the, I think it was the T-Mac 2 was a super solid, solid shoe. And I remember the commercials like when he was on Orlando, like, yeah, like, yeah, Tracy, mm-hmm. Tracy was awesome. And it was cool, you know, again, because we were in Toronto at the time. It's like, yeah, of course, as a rookie, you know, back in the day, like, yeah, the high school kids, like, the rookies didn't play that much, and then kind of get a little, little more and a little bit more, and then by the time he left the Raptors, it was like, damn, it was too late. He was, yeah, off to Orlando, like, you know, next year's leading. That last year in Toronto, he was, like, looking really good. <laughs> he and Vince, and, you know, they really got along, like, it was the whole, like, Jordan and Pippen thing with them, and Tracy had always said he liked Scottie Pippen more, and Oh, the like amount of talent that Tracy McGrady had as, you know, somebody who could handle the ball, great athlete, create his own shot, create for others. He, he was a tremendous basketball talent. And um, yeah, he's um, now now he's an agent. He and Jermaine O'Neal yeah. started their own, uh, their own agency this last year. So as they should, you will not see the end of Tracy McGrady on, on the scene. Yeah. Just one of the more versatile players of, I guess NBA history. Yeah, he, he, uh, tremendous talent and uh, was one of the best basketball players in the NBA for a really good length of time. Um, let's move on to a player who it was like also I I don't think he was ranked in the RSCI like he was just somebody from Chicago and. I think that like the first time I remember hearing about him was reading a high school or a college basketball preview magazine. And they were talking about Marquette. And I remember they were like saying like, yeah, like this guy, um, he had to, he was a prop 48, which meant that he was academically ineligible and had to sit out. Um, So yeah, he, I guess, you know, needed a year. I think, like, I think it even counted, like, as a year, like, burned, like, that kind of thing. Like, yeah, Prop 48 was just that kind of ridiculous. And he, I remember them talking about Dwayne Wade and saying, like, this is a guy who they compared to Michael Jordan and being like, what? Like, this guy who, like, I've never heard of, who, like, just sat out. And um, lo and behold, <laughs> becomes one of the best shooting guards of all time. And um, just a tremendous player. And immediately, as soon as he's eligible, he leads uh, Marquette in scoring. And he, that last year, Marquette, he takes off and they, like, that's, that's like, because for me, like, that's when I really became aware of him. Because I was like, who the heck is yeah. this guy? And then it was like, oh, this guy's really good. And then. 
he gets drafted and i'm like still not you know sure and then like later that like in his rookie year, i'm like okay never mind he's, he's so in 2003 let me break this down kentucky i think above any other school was considered the favorite to win the NCAA championship that year. Like they had had a great year. And Dwayne Wade in the elite eight annihilates them. <laughs> like he just killed them. He, he had 29 points, 11 assists, 11 rebounds, four blocks and a steal. Shot nine of 14 from the field, including two of two from three, five of six from the three-point line. Um, yeah. I, I think more important is even than that, like Keith Bogans, who I think was Kentucky's main scorer at the time, held to 15 points, four of 11 shooting. Um, Keith Bogans was like a top-ranked high school player also. And like, yeah, he was, he was the opposite of Dwayne Wade, who I, I don't think was – uh like well, he, I, I don't know he didn't so he didn't play in like the chicago like city league so he yeah. did kind of like a different you know school league so like that kind of affected some of it and he also did like aau with like darius miles so like that was like mm -hmm. the guy that people were going to see and Dwayne Wade was kind of like and i think there's a couple other guys on that team too but i know darius was like the most standout name of it and then also his academic issues is kind of what really hurt his recruiting because yeah basically it looked like you know for him obviously he did have to sit out regardless but yeah it was like Marquette, Illinois State, and DePaul were like mm -hmm. his three schools and like Marquette and the you know and DePaul at a point you know like they've had teams of progress but yeah like you got a guy like that you think like blue blood all the way but yeah just you know definitely like this this interesting factor of like less exposure plus you know, an academic scenario, you know, kind of flies them under the radar. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know if it was like a late growth spurt also with Dwayne Wade too. Um, but yeah, he um, the, drafted fifth by Miami. Wasn't considered a lock to be drafted fifth. Like the, the top four in that draft was pretty set. And I remember fifth in Miami was, there were some questions like, you know, if they take like TJ Ford, if they take Kirk Heinrich and they take Dwayne Wade, um, who is a little older than everybody else. And it turns out is the second best player from that draft after LeBron James um, played exceptionally well with LeBron James. You could even say in their first NBA finals, he was the better player in that Dallas series. Uh, and one of the, great players in NBA history as well. So yeah, you have these three guys coming out, definitely taking unconventional routes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so Dwayne Wade was somebody that just, it was, it's an amazing story. And uh, yeah, if anybody has a chance to watch him in that Elite Eight game against K Kentucky, they do eventually um, lose in the, the final four to Kansas who eventually lost to champion Syracuse. But yeah, it was um, just, man, like that, that was my first year in college. And uh, yeah, that was a, a great final four. Um, and also the tremendous NBA draft, especially at the top. Let's move on to a player who 
I'll also say, like, I guess I, I just didn't really know tons about him, but I just feel like he had kind of an unconventional path. And um, it is Paul Millsap. And he's from Monroe, Louisiana. Um, he attended Grambling High School. And their team was called the Kittens. Fierce animal. Those claws. Uh, but well, the thing, the thing, I, I guess he was a football, he was a football player. And then when, when he went to the, his, like his high school, they didn't have enough players to field a football team. So he had to do something else. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, you look at his frame, you're like, he looks like he could be Antonio. Oh, I, I think he absolutely would have been a, a great football player as well. Um, he was actually fourth team parade all American as a senior. Yeah, they, they had him number one, like he was 115th in the in the yeah. in, in the 2003 class. But again, like at that time, you're thinking names like LeBron James, like, you know, he was definitely nowhere in any of those, you know, those radars. Like I definitely didn't hear about him in till really his last year at Louisiana Tech. I'd heard about him the year before, but yeah, like I think. As soon as he gets to Louisiana Tech, like he's always amongst the nation's top rebounders. So you're like, oh my God, like this guy is just killing it at Louisiana Tech. And as we know, Louisiana Tech has another famous alumnus. Who was actually pretty good rebounding? Is, oh, what? He's actually not bad at rebounding either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was pretty good. Uh, Carl Malone. And the amazing thing is that he gets drafted to a team um, that had a point guard who was drafted the year before, much like Carmelone. So it was the Darren Williams and Paul Millsap show. The thing I hear about Paul Millsap, just in terms of, you know, it's a smaller school, the pre-draft process was where I heard he did not look great. Like that, that was the other surprising thing. Like you, he was definitely on the draft radar. And I think his stock was like high enough where he was even like a first round possibility. I, I at least think um, it, 2006 draft was a weird draft. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's a very weird draft. Um, it was a draft that uh, it was the first draft where they uh, eliminated prep to pro. So the year before 2005, you had a, a bunch, and then 2006, there uh, the age limit is instituted, and so it, you know it was pretty wide open, and uh, they, a lot of teams made a mistake, and Paul Millsap ends up being one of the best players out of the draft. Um, I think in a redraft maybe goes like uh, third or fourth. Um, you could even maybe even argue. I don't know, arguing second over uh, LaMarcus and Kyle Lowry is pretty tough, but he, he four-time All-Star, um, been on a number of really good teams and has just played this tremendous role for many years. So yeah, he um, was on the Jazz, then he was on the Hawks, part of a 60-win team with the Hawks, and um, has been a really great player for the Nuggets and was got paid big time bank and re-signed with the Nuggets and still plays a, a really solid role for them. So, yeah. And he is now 
36 years old. Yeah, because 2003 high school, high school class. Yeah. But no, he's definitely one of those. He's, he's turning uh, 36 tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> still, and still, you know, still contributing, like, yeah, at a good level on a on a on a playoff on a playoff team. But the the next guy that definitely came out of nowhere is going to be Russell Westbrook. I don't know if Russ came out of nowhere. In like, like in a in a in a way though, like he's at UCLA, but I mean. His first, his freshman year at UCLA, he backs up Darren Collison. He's getting three points a game. He's got yeah. like energy. Guy. Well, let, let's talk about the fact that when he was um, entering high school, he was five foot eight and one hundred and forty pounds. Yeah, like <laughs> just crazy. And um, yeah, I also remember he, but yeah, about he and. Uh, Darren Collison, you're absolutely right there. Because yeah, the Darren Collison gets hurt, Russell kind of takes takes over that starting point guard. Never, never looks back. I had the unfortunate pleasure of being at a uh, Oregon UCLA game at UCLA that year, where Kevin Love was a freshman, and then Russell Westbrook just destroyed like our hopes and dreams, basically. Yeah, it was it was it was it was pretty unfiltered and brutal. But yeah, like he was. I mean, for him to go oh, from, yeah. like off the bench. To kind of this NBA like lottery, and to be where he is today, because yeah, he definitely didn't start varsity, I guess, until his junior year of high school. You know, he got a few offers before his senior year, but again, like not a ton. Yeah. Well, yeah, Russ plays like a very limited amount at UCLA, but yeah, in high school, I, I think was kind of a late bloomer, and he was ranked um, 66 nationally, I guess, by scout. Um, so yeah, like did eventually blow up and obviously earns a, a UCLA offer um, and has a, a really great senior year uh, and obviously grew to be six foot three. So at the time, like, I think even during his freshman season, like he had flashes and the athleticism so no, he didn't an, play very an, much. As an energy guy, you know, like, yeah, like shows flash, but it's like, okay, that's not going to necessarily translate to lottery, so, lottery I want to mention just a couple of, renowned talent evaluators who um, were, I guess, early in on, on Russell Westbrook. One is, is Frank Burleson. And I always remember uh, Frank is runs a recruiting service and he's just been um, a huge part of basketball and um, it's like, you know, doing similar things to what Tom Kinchalski was doing. It's a uh, more focused on the West coast, but yeah, like nationally, and goes to tons of events as well. But um, Russell Westbrook actually is one of his uh, endorsements on his website. And I just want to read what, what Russ says about Frank. He says, Frank Burleson has always been a proponent of my, my talent and even more so of my potential far before it was evident to most. Even as the smaller determined player who was being overlooked by most high major colleges and national scouting services, Frank always served as a friendly voice who got me into the door to most events and to help me prove my talents. And uh, I, I just always thought that was really cool. And another thing is I, I forget the exact coach. I think it was Billy Kennedy, but somebody was saying, um, I think he was coaching Texas A&M or whatever had happened. And they played UCLA 
and Russ like wasn't even on the scouting report. And this was during Russ's sophomore year. And he runs into Larry Brown and Larry Brown says, I really like the Westbrook kid. And if I had the number one pick in the draft, I think I'd take him. And this was when number one pick was pretty much exclusively between either Derrick Rose or Michael Beasley um, with Derrick Rose, obviously being the favorite and Derrick Rose and Russell even play each other in the NCAA Final Four. UCLA was my favorite to win that year, by the way. And uh, yeah, Memphis ends up beating them. They both have fantastic games. Russ going four to, uh, at the time, Seattle, was a, I, not like, you know, an out-of-this-world surprise or anything, but like I would say a bit of a surprise. Didn't Memphis draft him? Wasn't he traded for O.J. Mayo on draft day? No, 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 no. Uh, OJ Mayo was traded for Kevin Love. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so they they take him at fourth. And uh, yeah, obviously it was a fantastic pick. And we know that they drafted three MVPs in a row uh, with taking James Harden at at three the next year after he somehow slipped. I will say things didn't work out well for Seattle, but they worked out very well for Oklahoma City. They did indeed. That's that poor Seattle like that. That's interesting. Never got that shit, but yeah. they uh, they had some great uh, years. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I Russell Westbrook, another guy who just I, I think it was a a build up through high school to eventually kind of blowing up there, and then um, obviously like blowing up during his sophomore year at, at UCLA and making an immediate impact in the NBA to eventually averaging a triple-double for three straight seasons, um, which is unheard of. And he is a special player and I I think one of the better players to have never won an NBA championship at this point. Um, But yeah, Russell Westbrook has had a fantastic career and just thought it was a a really cool story. Um, And the next player is somebody who I, I think there just is always discussion about just how good he was as a high school prospect. And the thing I had always, I had heard was that he at least got an invite. And yes, like sometimes this happens where um, th- there have been a lot of players' sons who get invites to the NBA PA top 100 camp, uh, which is in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, and Stephen Curry was one of them. And from what I heard, at least of people that remember seeing him there, like he could stroke, but he was, he was really skinny. Like, like he wasn't the same player. Pounds. I like, yeah, like, yeah, I think I was, he I'm wasn't the player. same player that he ended up becoming. And I understand that. Um, so yeah, he gets, I, I guess, severely under-recruited. Yeah, he was a 245th ranked player in, in, in his high school class. And then he gets the, you know, he wants to play for his dad's alma mater. And his mom also played volleyball there as well. Virginia Tech, yes. And when you see this man on ESPN, Seth Greenberg, the, the then coach at the time, you know why he's on ESPN and, and not still coaching at Virginia Tech, because he basically says to this kid, hey, you could be a walk-on. Yeah. And he claims that he offered him a scholarship, too. He'll 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 throw that one out there every now and then, but yeah, it, whatever it was, 
the deal wasn't looking good enough to, yeah. to go to Virginia Tech over uh, playing for Bob McKillop and uh, Davidson. And he goes to Davidson. And I, I think the when I was looking at, at possibly adding Paul George to our list, Jason, but I, I decided against it. But I, when I was reading about Paul George, it said that he decided he was offered like, you know, some bigger schools, but decided to go to Fresno State for playing time. And Stefan goes to Davidson knowing that he would get the ball and get playing time. Um, doesn't really start off there as like their point guard, but yeah, he immediately comes into college and averages 21 points per game. Uh, pretty good. Like Davidson, obviously not being in the hugest conference. At the well, time he's there was the conference. And, and, you know, getting, getting excitement about them in the chart. Like, cause they were definitely a, a team that a lot of people started putting in there. And their brackets. Well, I think uh, sophomore year was yeah, the one the year where he went crazy. Yeah. And um, yeah, like beat Kansas and that whole deal. Um, yeah. So it's, by his sophomore year, he's like, you know, a March Madness hero. Uh, oh, they lose to Kansas. Yeah. Damn. It was whatever it was. It was he always, he always, he just had this like amazing NCAA tournament run. And uh, the next year they don't make the NCAA tournament, but I believe Steph led the nation in scoring and was just like, you know, this guy with unbelievable range, making like difficult movement shots and uh, being of course the insane like relocator that he is known to be um, to the point where he eventually like changes the game of basketball. Yeah, I know, I was gonna say, handedly <laughs> like, so much has changed a lot because of because because of him. I mean, you don't really have logo Lillard without like staff. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. He's he's the best shooter in NBA history, um, Stephen Curry, and he. Yeah, it's just it's still. I I know there are like extenuating circumstances, and I'm sure that, like like Michael Jordan, like I said at the beginning. Um, you can't put that all on his coach and he wasn't the same player they ended up becoming, but like, come on, man. <laughs> like, I know, because he's a little skinny. His, he comes from like an amazing family. Like, I, I just, it's so hard for me to believe. And then like, I'm guessing Seth, like a lot of the same stuff and they don't, they don't get Seth Curry either. Seth Curry goes to Liberty. Yeah, no, you think I know that that's that's my thing because and then he ends up a dude, but it's like you yeah. think you learned the lesson the first time. Like Steph's already doing it. Like I would just start offering, yeah, on, on speculation. <laughs> like, like oh my god, the fact that he wasn't already pressuring the women's coach to offer Sadell. Um, yeah, Sadell's a volleyball player, but still, um, <laughs> there's always that video I love of her ripping the basketball away from Stefan. Uh, when um, when Sadell was playing for Toronto, thing, but that's the other thing that goes into Stefan too. It's like he was like literally beating guys like NBA guys at horse when he was like a, yeah, you know, like a teenager. Like you don't think like you'd be like, oh, maybe I could have you. You have thirteen scholarships. Like, yeah, thirteen scholarships. Like, yeah, well, you're gonna get so crazy. Yeah, and like crazy. Yeah, but yeah, maybe Stephen Curry. I don't know. Yeah, that's maybe again. Curry. That's. I think um, he's an all timer. <laughs> I forget what player they're referring to, but his former Oregon coach, Mark Halfridge. Just a devastating oh, mistake. 
Hufunga on, US, on USC, Mike Alfred was calling the game and they asked him like, oh, how can you let a player like that leave the state of Oregon? He goes, well, that's why I'm up here in the booth right now. It's like, these are the, like, Steph's one of those players that like, yeah, yeah. I can't look at you in the face. <laughs> you like had this golden opportunity and let him walk away. Well, Seth Greenberg seems to keep his- that, uh, It's a scene all the time on ESPN, but I mean- yeah. That's um, that's their problem, not as much not as much ours. Yeah. The, ne- the next player is someone I'm I'm you know listening to the show, huge fan of. Yeah. Jimmy Butler, and that's like he's got a super interesting route to even just getting to like out of high school. Like basically, he was kicked out of his house at the age of thirteen. Yes. Because his mom just said, "I don't like looking at you." Unreal. And he was just kind of let on his way to like couch surf and kind of do what he could to, to kind of get by and it's really not until later he kind of finds a family that kind of takes him in but yeah he's just someone no AAU I don't think he was again like playing in like the strongest you know or like most covered league mm-hmm. and everything like that and it's just yeah he's someone that has no no offers coming out <laughs> of high school goes to junior college uh, junior college, he's like the like 127th ranked like junior college player, or something crazy. Mm-hmm. And then you look at him today; he's, you know, he took a team to the finals. Yeah. Well, yeah, he went to Tyler Junior College, and at the time, Marquette was a school that was uh, doing some great things, getting junior college players like. Buzz Williams was just kind of like killing the the Juco circuit. And uh, that was how they got Jay Crowder. I believe that was how they got um, Darius Johnson Odom as well. Uh, but either way, I mean, even yeah. just Jimmy Jay Crowder's <laughs> too pretty good. For pretty sure. Names to hang on, hang on your resume. Yeah, it's just like one of those things. It's like, yeah, definitely. I doubt any of his coaches were telling him he's going to make the NBA kind of like, it's like that kind of kind of kind of thing where, yeah, he just didn't wasn't getting. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And the, so like such a long shot. Even entering the NBA draft, he, it was no guarantee he was going to be a first round pick. But I, like you heard the story, and he was I, I think somebody that like the draft community really liked. Like they they loved the story. They loved what he did at Marquette. And, uh, you know, you saw talent there. His rookie year, he doesn't have, like, a huge season or anything like that. Like, you know, he was pretty much, like, somebody that was drafted 30th pick in the NBA draft. And then he comes back that next year and is playing rotation minutes. And then he, like, I think, yeah, his fourth year, he was an NBA All-Star and has made the NBA All-Star team many more times since then. We know that, you know, he's had drama and everything like that. It turns out that I, I think most people realize he's usually been right. Yeah, he, um, he, right with him. He knows what he's talking about. And he wants he's, to- he's, he's somebody who has a very high expectation of, of people. And, uh, you know, I, it's hard to blame him for that um, with everything that he's been through and with how hard he's had to work. Um, and, and then, then yeah, like, last like, you year. Look at him, you look at him too, like you look at him today versus his rookie year too, like how much he's 
you know, again, like developed and put onto his his body to get to this size. Mm-hmm. Pretty, yeah, he was pretty, you know, like how much he's developed his game. Yeah, like skinnier three, you know, two people straight up felt like like Jimmy like couldn't shoot at all and everything like that. And uh like yes, he's shot fewer threes, but he's so good. <laughs> he's it's, such it's, a great player. And again, for, for is like just no AAU what whatsoever whatsoever. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah, a lot of the other guys like they played on some teams, like even like Dwayne Dwayne Wade did, you know, but he, he had like other guys like Darius Miles was the high. You know the headliner at the time, which seems crazy by today, <laughs> by today's standards. Stephen mentioned the two in a, a sentence, but yeah, just no way. No, no, it was a super big deal at the time, but now it's like, yeah, Dwayne, it's Dwayne Wade. <laughs> yeah. You know, versus versus like Darius Miles was like, you know, he had well, the- he, hey, Devonte Schuler was, uh, I think the the big guy on the South Carolina AU team that had Zion Williamson and John Morant. And yeah, I still at uh, Ole Miss, and those two guys are in their second year in the NBA, and we're the first and second pick. Yeah, so, but, yeah. Yeah, but Jimmy, again, he's just proof that, like, you know, junior, junior college, you know, like, junior college route can super work. Like, if you are dedicated and want to do it, like, you, okay. can, you can make you can make it happen. And, again, like, he's not a junior, like, because, you know, there's the two routes of junior college, obviously. It's, like, academically, you can't make it to, like, a, a four-year or just, like, him. Like, you get no, you, you have nowhere else to go. Like, this is the only place you can go to try to, you know, get that exposure to get to, you know, Marquette or wherever you want to go at the D1 level. Mm-hmm. So huge. And like, yeah, Jimmy. How great was Jimmy in the finals? Yeah. He was fantastic. He played his heart out. And um, yeah, just, man, Miami was such a fun team and hoping that they uh, get it together uh, this year. And uh, she's been a little not as at least get a chance to, to show what they can do in the playoffs. Because yeah, it was it was fun that they they ran it back, and I guess you know they, I, I guess with Goran Dragic and I don't know, I, I don't think Jimmy is, yeah, like J- Jimmy, I, I think was just more just unfortunate circumstances with him having COVID, and yeah, I still think he's like a top 15, 20 player in the NBA easily. And at this uh, time, still, we still have a lot a lot of basketball left to left to be played, so Miami has a chance to turn around. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You hopefully we're hopefully we're looking at 72 games. So yeah, not even I, I, at the halfway point yet. Um, the next player is like I, I think do you think of like late risers that eventually become like these top players in their high school class? And w- we mentioned Michael Jordan, we mentioned Tracy McGrady. <laughs> This is another guy who, like, just before senior year, there wasn't very much noise at all about him. As a matter of fact, when he was six foot three, um, he was, I think, looking at playing for Cleveland State. Or yeah, had already he was six to them. two at the age of fifteen. Yeah, he is definitely not six foot two. Today. Yeah. So he um, had this. We're talking Incredible Anthony group. Davis. Yeah. Those who don't know, the yeah. Brow himself, because yeah, he basically shot up from 6'2 to you know where he's at today, 6'10, and was able to keep these skills that he had as a guard, you yeah. know, and kind of migrate those up versus you're like, 
a lot of people talk about him and they're like, well, if he was always this big, you know, he probably would have just been, you know, groomed as a post player only, where he kind of gets the, the benefit of like, he had some kind of guard skill, you know, because obviously he was getting some offers at his old height, you know, but obviously at a much different level, you know, there's obviously a big bit of an upgrade between leading Kentucky and Cleveland State. But yeah, he's just, he's super lucky with this, with this kind of growth spurt. And he also kind of went to like an, again, like an off the radar charter school, you know, that, charter. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't playing in again, like the yeah. big, like the bigger, higher major leagues, you know, so like that. Senior year, they played a, a, a lot of top teams just because he was on the team. <laughs> and, I don't, and I don't think they had a good record, which isn't reflective of him. There's a lot more going on, but. but I yeah. think they were around 500. But yeah, he was just that unbelievable of a player. And um, the summer before his senior year, he went to a number of events and really stood out there and started off where like he was slowly rising up the rankings. And by the end of the summer, I think many people believed that he was the best player in that high school class. And it was one of those things where I was kind of at the point in my life where I was like, I want to see it to believe it. And unfortunately, I I, I actually wrote about the uh, Nike Global Challenge that he was at, but like I had streamed like limited amounts of it and just pretty much like wrote stats and like, you know, just said, I heard like Anthony Davis look good. When I finally had the chance to see Anthony Davis at the Nike Hoop Summit, I was like blown away because he just moved so effortlessly for a guy that size. Well, just, yeah, like that and just Skinny. like- Skinny, but he was really aggressive. And just like such a high skill level. Like that, just a high skill level for, for Anthony Davis. Like always, and just like- Oh yeah, well, just the fluidity, the ball skills. Yeah, absolutely. Like he, he was the standout of the game um, and- yeah, I, I know Bismarck Biombo had a, a triple-double in that game. He didn't mean anything to me because Anthony Davis looked much better as a long-term prospect. And, um, yeah, not surprisingly, he gets to Kentucky. He was in that game with Marcus Teague and uh, Michael K. Gilchrist, who was a huge spark plug. And he and Anthony Davis, of course, Anthony Davis being the first pick in the 2012 draft, Michael K. Gilchrist being the second pick, uh, Marcus Teague being a first-round pick, I believe. And they uh, win the NCAA championship. Anthony Davis in the NCAA finals goes one for 10 from the field and still wins the most outstanding player because he was, I think, had like 16 rebounds, like six assists and six blocks. Like defensively dominant, like, yeah. Just dominant in all these facets of the game. Like it just, he, he was a guy who could dominate games without having to score. And then he became really, really good at scoring and uh, doesn't win rookie of the year, but he uh, is, you know, contributes at least immediately in the NBA and just gets better and better as time goes on. Um, I believe like by his third year, he was an all-star. But yeah, just want to make sure about that. But yeah, he's just been this tremendous player and uh, like, you know, an analytics star. Oh, he was an all-star by his second year. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he by his second year, he was already leading the NBA in block shots per game. 
and averaging 20 and 10. Um, yeah, he's been just tremendous for years and years. Uh, wants to leave New Orleans and uh, ends up getting traded to his clutch family of the Los Angeles Lakers and being he and LeBron and uh, the rest is history there. And uh, they're going for, at least they're in the process of trying to win their, their second NBA championship with Anthony Davis being um, among the favorites for defensive player of the year, which would be his first. Um, but yeah, just an incredibly unique talent as far as both ends of the floor. He's so damn good. And his story is amazing. Like that yeah, growth spurt, be, this, yeah. The growth spurt without the awkwardness is the amazing. That's why like so it, rare. you guys that have gone on the growth spurt, like every, every, well, that's a, that's the thing like um, that someone who was saying about Anthony Davis that I was reading too. It's like, it's that funny thing of like, go to any high school and take like the, you know, the tallest player who's, you know, maybe 6'2 or 6'3 or some guy on your team was like, if I was just a foot taller, man, I'd be like, I'd be like, you know, the greatest player, you know, I'd be this, I'd be that. It's like, Anthony Davis actually did that. Yeah. <laughs> like he was the lucky person that got to live that fantasy. And like, yeah. everyone else is like, yeah, if I was only six, you know, 6'10 or 6'7, like I'd be this. It's like, you got to, you got to live. Like you definitely got yeah. that, that genie situation. And not only it, like, did he get that? Like he is one of the best players of that height ever <laughs> like, yeah they're they're just there may be like just a, a handful of players that size who are in his league and uh yeah so it, it's crazy but yeah it's just like it's like a, most people who are six foot ten would not be as good as anthony davis and yeah uh, it's like it's like a it's like a disney <laughs> comedy movie of like some kid that wants to be good at basketball that all of a sudden gets on this like gross becomes good like that's the life that anthony davis gets to gets to lead because so many of us unfortunately you know height was a bit of a, a blocker you might say you know limited limiting factor in in some, in some way so big ups to big ups to the brow yeah another player from that same draft who had, I, I would say, an unconventional path and was, I, I think, severely under-recruited, turned out to be Damian Lillard. And again, and we're huge, huge fans of Dame over here. Of course, of course. He's turned into one of the better players in the NBA. And he was in the starting lineup as a freshman at five foot five. The story is, I, I probably, when I was a freshman, I think I was like five one. Yeah, I think my, my senior year, I got up, I, I think if I stood up, I, I got to the five five. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 you're right. Um, so, yeah. Dame started his freshman year as Jason Weisenberg. <laughs> basically with a better shape yeah and ended it as Damian Lillard uh, obviously I'm, I'm guessing not like the same level of player but yeah we all know his uh incredible work ethic well for, for him too he also transferred high schools twice so like his, his freshman yeah. the coach wasn't coming back so he's like okay I'm gonna go he goes to the same private school Jason Kidd went to mm -hmm. doesn't quite get what he wants there too so then transfers Transfers again. So he had a little, you know, he had a little bouncing around factor. Yeah. But then also he just, you know, and I think he plays like this too. Yeah. Just get, not getting the respect he talks about. I read an interview with him and he talks about playing in this AAU tournament and he was like, 
very confident in the way he played and Roy Williams was there, Lorenzo Romar and like all these big coaches. And he's like, yeah, I expected to get back to the hotel and like my phone would be blowing up. And he's like, and crickets. Yeah. And I think a lot of those kind of things shaped him into what he's become today. Yeah. And I, I a story I actually heard was, um, or at least somebody who I, I think was one of the early people to like Damian Lillard also was Frank Burleson. And Frank said that he was one of like Dame's, I think like first 500 Twitter followers. They used to like talk about movies with each other and just saw this, saw Dame at a tournament or, or something like that and really liked his game. Um, but yeah, it goes to Weber State. And the um, right 14th nationally as a recruit. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the crazy thing. So it's like, you know, the later we get with some of these players, it's like the more we have from these like scouting services, like online, they're doing these rankings, these composites and kind of things like that. So it's always just crazy to see. It's like all these schools that let Dame, Damian Lillard. But again, you know, he's a little skinnier when he starts at Weber State. But then by the time he's a senior, like, again, for me, I didn't, he didn't get on my radar until before the draft. And Mm -hmm. that was really my loss, (laughs) not... Well, I, I think he he was by by the time he was uh, in his last few years at Weber State, I I think even as a sophomore, he just as we talked about before, like his shooting profile was insane, and it's much like it is now. But not only that, like he's just the strength and quickness to get to the basket. He was truly like a three level threat, and uh, I think it's just worked on that more and more. And uh, was the rookie of the year um, in the 2012-13 season. And he um, has won a number of accomplishments since then. Um, All-NBA first team last year has been an all-star five times, soon to be six. And uh, yeah, it should be eight. But um, he uh, also hit some of the coldest game winners of all time. Like, period. Yeah, yeah, not just as a you know through my well, Lillard time and yeah, it's 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 a thing. It's yeah. it's real because he is an absolutely elite shooter and um, clutch finisher. Is somebody who the Blazers time and time again rely on for huge offensive contributions, um, and uh, just yeah, one of the better players in the NBA. Um, right now and somebody who again like had this unconventional path and uh, I guess was seen by some of the right people to get to Weber State and uh, one of the great small school players um, in the NBA over the last little while along with uh, CJ McCollum too. The Blazers had these back-to-back picks of you like like guys that went to the smaller schools. And I mean, like if you look at CJ McCollum as well, like I think his freshman year of high school, he looks like he's about four foot five. When <laughs> you see the pictures of him, like he looks like a 12 year old. Yeah. Out there, but it's like, again, he's obviously done a lot. Luckily, you know, getting some growth, but you know, then again, it's like putting onto his body as well. Like he's, you know, especially this year, he came in like looking like a tank. Yeah. People were calling him thick, which is just not something that I think you ever would have thought if you looked at some of those yeah, high school looked at it like it's high school photo because again it looks like like it looks like a very young child going up against like 
relatively grown people in high school, but but yeah, no, Dave, Dave and CJ were two definitely like, you know, if you were ranking, that's a good idea of like small school guys. Like they're definitely two of the, the tops. And the last player that we wanted to mention was somebody who ended his high school career being, you know, near the top of his high school class, obviously. But he took an interesting path to get there. And um, I wanted to mention Markel Fultz because to me, Markel Fultz's story originally like almost sounded like Michael Jordan's. <laughs> like, you know, like playing on JV as a sophomore, like starts off high school shorter and, uh, you know, playing for this prestigious program in DeMatha Catholic. Um, and he doesn't make the varsity team as a sophomore. Because they didn't like the way he ran, they called him Bambi because his gait was kind of awkward. Like, you know, just the yeah. way he kind of like. He fixed that. Bounces, yeah. Because <laughs> one thing about Marco Fultz is he can really move. Um, but yeah, he, I, as a, a junior, I just remember like, you know, hearing about him and uh, hearing there being more offers and like, you know, Kentucky got in eventually and everything like that. And um, then I had a chance to see him going into his senior year at Adidas Nations and thought he looked like one of the better players there. Um, played on a team with Dennis Smith Jr. before he unfortunately went down with an ACL tear. Um, but yeah, Markel, I, I felt was the second most interesting player on that team. Um, and then uh, the Nike Hoop Summit comes around and he is leaves the, that week as I think I, I, I at least remember the ESPN Draft Express, whatever they were at the time, guys had him as, or I think they were ESPN, had him as the number three player. Um, I think it was behind Harry Giles and Josh Jackson. I believe Jason Tatum was four. And yeah, Markel was looking really great. The other chance I had to see Markel Fultz was, uh, so knowing that he indeed looked like a potential one and done, like lottery pick level player was uh, at Les Schwab Invitational where he was the MVP of that tournament. Um, they lost in the finals to a stacked Oak Hill team that was just full of yeah, that's generally, generally Oak Hill is generally pretty. Or had played a game against Garfield. Oh, sorry, I think we're having a little pause here regarding Markel Fultz, but. Yeah. Can you hear all right, Michael? It's like we are experiencing a yeah. little. Okay. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it looks like just a little choppy at this end. Yeah, I can, I can, I can hear you. Sorry, just a little, little choppy on on my end there. But yeah, Mar Markel, like I mean, also, I think I think you you dub also. You know, he liked them because they were the team that went to go see him when he was on JV. Yeah, yeah. Lorenzo Romar went to see him when he was in JV. Uh, Rafael Chilius as well. Um, and yeah, they both were 
yeah, so while he was being offered by all these blue bloods, he um, was went with the school that was, uh, I think, the first to offer him in UW. And uh, turned out it was going to be Lorenzo Romar's last year there. Um, but he, nonetheless, while Washington as a team had a relatively rough year, they had this player who was an absolute standout amongst college basketball and among this like really deep class as well. So I, I remember at Adidas Nations, um, there was there were a few players from that high school class that played, um, I believe it was, I think it was U19s at the time. And it was Harry Giles, Josh Jackson and Jason Tatum were at least three of them. And they were considered, I think, three of the top guys there. Um, and then you maybe had Dennis Smith. And then Markel, I think, was in the group, like, at least around there. Um, but by the time we got to Hoop Summit, Markel was considered one of the better players there. And then he played in the U18s that summer before he went to Washington. And he and Michael Porter Jr. both looked fantastic. And then Markel Fultz, in this stack class with, you know, all of these stud prospects as uh, we told you, Danny Ainge felt uh, that class had he, Markel Fultz looked like the, the number one guy and he ended up going number one in the draft. And uh, you know, it doesn't seem like he'll be the best player from that draft. Like I, I think early results looking like uh, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, Darren De Fox, and Bam Adebayo. Um, a, lot, a lot of great players. But Markel is still really good. And I just always thought that it was just such an interesting story of how, you know, you had this guy who was playing JV as a sophomore and then by the end of everything yeah, looked so like uh, the first pick in the NBA draft had this like tremendous pull-up game, creative finisher, obviously not like the Michael Jordan level like athlete, but certainly like had some qualities, like his ability to get to the basket was always pretty amazing, had this great first step. And um, you thought the shooting was part of the deal as well. And we all know that the shoulder issues. And yeah, I think that, I think the yips. His free throw percentage indicators weren't amazing. Stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. that, um, yeah, right. Still, the the story's still not over. He signed a contract with Orlando. He was contributing a great deal to Orlando, and uh, I I still think he's at least. Third. I think I think he's got a good chance to still have you know a pretty salvageable, salvageable you know career. But unfortunately, obviously, we'll never. Be the best player in that draft like little to that but i mean again it's still pretty pretty awesome to go from like yeah like unheralded jv jv prospect to you know two years later being being the number one guy because usually so many times i feel like the number one guy is number one <laughs> like from like day one until the last the last day so it's pretty cool when someone can kind of like work their way up and in Sorry, it looks like we're having a little... Hey, just as the last thing I want to do. Sorry, give it one second. Oh, do we... Looks, yeah, it looks like we're having a little Zoom fun times, but um, we'll just bear with us for one second. Uh, Mike, can you hear all, all right? 
Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, perfect. Go for it. All right. So, USA Basketball used to give out measurements that would just be fantastic to have and give you an idea of, because obviously like, you know, if a player isn't a, isn't a certain height that you would like, they can make for, a, for it in other ways, like in terms of length and everything like that. And it's also just really interesting to see how players grow throughout the years. And that just led me to one guy who I think grew like, because we, we were talking about all these late bloomers and he was always somebody that was on the, the radar of one of the top players in his class, but like grew a tremendous amount throughout high school. And I'm lucky enough to have uh, some of these measurements. And he starts off as being six foot three and a quarter and 177 pounds with a six, eight wingspan and eight, five standing reach. This is uh, October, 2014, May, 2015. He's six foot five, only 180 pounds, six foot 10 wingspan, eight foot seven standing reach. In June, 2016, six foot seven, 199 pounds. So that's like a year later, seven foot wingspan, eight foot, 8.5 standing reach. And then October, 2017, he's six foot seven with shoes, 211 pounds, seven one wingspan, eight foot nine standing reach. And that is Cameron Reddish. And it's just, it's, it always amazes me that like, we kind of, it seems like a lot of people use the last measurement that like they have and like the last one they get, but players do grow and, and things happen throughout the years. And like it, you, I think it took like Cameron Reddish a while to get to the top of his class, but eventually, you know, by the end, he had that growth spurt and went from being one of the top players in the class to like a top, like three to five player in that class. And eventually the 10th pick in the NBA draft. So yeah, it's just, uh, it, it always amazes me. I wish USA would bring back these measurements. So we would have like these nice, this nice timeline to see how players grow throughout the year. But um, yeah, either way, it's always great. I think one of the, the most fun things as a scout is um, coming across these players and, and seeing these late bloomers and seeing things change over time. Um, that it's just constantly changing and constantly evolving. Um, so yeah, wanted to, again, give uh, all the condolences to uh, the family, friends, and anybody that knew Tom Konchalski, the basketball community is a better place for having him be a part of it. And um, we hope that you enjoyed learning about some of these players that were, uh, had unconventional paths. And yeah. uh, we'll, we'll say unconventional paths to greatness uh, with many of them. No, I, I mean, I think, I think with all of them, I think they've all been, you know, great in some facet of the game. And it's just, yeah, there's so many different paths to the, to the NBA. It's, it's pretty always awesome just to kind of hear these, stories because it is you know inspirational for a lot of you know younger players if you think of like you know Damian Lillard even like step like those kind of paths to the NBA so it's you know if you if you love the game work at it and it will give back to you as well 
That's the hope. Hey, it, um, gets, it gets back in whatever way, in whatever way it can. So you know, you, you get what you give. And then, um, Mikey, what's uh, what, what else is going on? I know the G League bubble is starting up. Yeah. So the G League Ignite has their first game tomorrow against um, Santa Cruz Warriors. It's at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on ESPN2. And I just recently wrote an actual article, um, <laughs> which I hadn't done in a while. And it is on... Um, I, I had a chance to watch the G League Ignite scrimmages uh, from December 15th and December 17th to uh, 2020. Just I got a ton out of it and did a uh, roundtable with two other contributors to Perspective Insight, Andrew Slater, who I'd mentioned earlier, uh, Scout I greatly admire, and Tyler Glazier, who's worked incredibly hard and has so much great work on Perspective Insight as well. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out. We'll, we'll have that in the description as well. Um, just a, a good preview to see what happens tomorrow. But I know NBA draft fans are ecstatic to finally see some live games. Yeah, get to see get to see these games um, for the kids. There, the plan is for G League Ignite to play 15 games. You have players like Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Green, Isaiah Todd, and Dacian Nix. Um, I don't believe Kai Soto is going to be playing. I think he's playing for uh, the Philippines in the Asia Cup and it's going to be tough for him to get to the G League bubble. But um, the other contributing players on the team, you have uh, Bobby Brown, Jarrett Jack, Amir Johnson, Dante Hall. Um, they just signed Jesse Govan as well. Interesting mix of like some veteran guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the you knew that when they signed the the four players or five players that they did, it was going to be tough for them all to play together. Yeah. And as we saw in the scrimmages, that was the case when they were all five on the court at the same time. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's great to, to break it up and have those guys starting. I'm thinking that they're probably going to start three of the G League veterans with Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga. Um, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga are two players who are, are likely lottery picks and possibly even top five picks. Uh, and they, I think, just have athletic ability and uh, things that can make them already impact players at the G League level. So it's going to be really interesting. The surprising thing from the first scrimmage, because when you, I heard the scrimmage scores, you, you didn't think it, it was close. The first scrimmage was really close. Like I felt like they kind of phoned it in at the end and like didn't really like try to their best to win, which is understandable because I think a lot of this is going to be um, a development situation, which I think is great. But yeah, they, they I, I thought they really had a chance to win that first scrimmage or at least um, put up a, a better fight at the end. Um, but yeah, I'm guessing they're going to lose a majority of their games. But they could make things interesting, and I think the prospects make it really interesting. So if you are into NBA draft prospects or, or want to see some a couple of exciting players who will be in the NBA next year, um, maybe even three or four, uh, watch the, the G League Ignite scrimmages and um, check out the G League bubble. Well, it's real, yeah, it's a real like um, the Ignite team is a real like proof of concept too. Like if this 
does work gotcha. out for these guys, you know, you're, you might see more guys taking that, that pathway. So definitely something to be, be, you know, keep in mind for future drafts as well. Absolutely. So definitely check out, check out the G league bubble. Cause again, there, you know, some guys like that. And also, you know, G league is always fun just to see some random college guys that used to like that. You're like, Oh, they, they still play or yeah. not to mention some guys who are getting sent down from the NBA who have a chance to eventually get some rotation minutes in the next little while also. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, it get, like it's always been just a great chance for some guys to get that chance to play and get the ball in their hands and get to get to grow mm-hmm. within their system. But yeah, let us, you know, are there any guys that you're excited for in the, in the G League bubble or, you know, also just, you know, based on the stories we told, are there any stories that you think are like super interesting of like players that you feel like had, you know, that interesting path to the league that have been, you know, kind of sleeper guys, late bloomers? Definitely let us know. We, we always love to kind of like hear your passion as well for the game and like what these players mean to you. So definitely drop it in the comments. If you want, you can also tweet at us at Viseland or you can email us at viselandpod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to follow me individually, I am on everything social media at Jay Weisenberg. If you want to follow Michael, he is at NBA Draft Mikey V on Twitter. Any final thoughts, Mikey? No, I think summed up very well. Um, thank you once again for stopping by. Appreciate 40, anybody that 40, likes 40 episodes, comments. 40 episodes celebration, everybody. So thank you. Yeah. Like, comment, share, and we hope to, you know, bring another 40 to you as well as soon as we can. So we will catch you all next week. Have a good week, everybody.